0: Good morning, MRCC. Yes, Father, we step into your presence now to praise you with whole hearts. Just let us set our eyes on him in this moment together. Yes. Oh, we look to the side, set our eyes on our Savior, see the image of love, sing his praises forever. Shine, tearing through the dead of night see the kingdom burst into color At the speed of light Yes, oh freedom Shaking up the atmosphere In your presence, Lord As the shadows fade into nothing As the day appears Beyond the skies above, love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Oh, we look to the sun, set our eyes on our Savior, see the image of love. Waking up to kingdom come See the hope of heaven shining like the rising sun Now forever, lifted up from death to life We declare this from our hearts, church There's no fear in love And no darkness in His endless night Beyond the skies above, love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Yeah. oh, we look to the sun, set our eyes on our Savior, see the image love. The skies above love reaching out for us the everlasting one Jesus our God is pursuing us, church beyond the skies above, love reaching out for us, the everlasting one Jesus our God could tell them. To the sun, as your church Lord? set our eyes on our Savior. See the image of love. Sing His praises forever. Won't we look to the sun? Set our eyes on our Savior. See the image of love. Sing His praises forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we look to the sun, oh, yeah. Church, can we give Him praise today? Hallelujah, Lord. We set our eyes on You, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yes, Father, we thank You. You've delivered us. Your love. Oh, oh, oh. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. Cause you found me, you found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, we are we, we declare this now. Cause you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah, you have torn apart the sea, you have made me Day, is the sign that you are with me Five by night is the guiding light to my feet Cause you found me you found me you feed me held back the water's for my release oh yeah you're the God you're the God if I In your presence we sing Hallelujah You have torn apart You have torn apart the sea You have led me through the deep Hallelujah Hallelujah Yes Father here we stand now as your church Broken, vulnerable, in need of a perfect Savior Father, here in your presence, will you help us grasp the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your mercy, victorious champion, the battle is won, yes, Yes I am who you say I am Yes Lord Our great champion stands undefeated Against the enemy, against death He stands undefeated always It's because of this He remains our confidence church And there's something powerful that happens When the body of Christ comes together And sing in confidence of him. Him, our collective hope. Him, our future. For his word says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Yes, Father God, champion over death. How we long for that day where we will rest with you in eternity, free from the longing and the sorrows of this world. But today, as your church, we enter into heavenly worship and offer you this praise. Offer you these words from our lips. We sing, Holy is the Lord. is yes, how I love to breathe the air of heaven The pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him For all eternity Yes, there'll be a day There will be a day When I will bow for him There will be a day When death will be no more Standing face to face same doubt and fear and in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away Stand beside the heroes of the faith, with one voice, a thousand generations. So worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Can we sing that again, church? And on that day, we join the resurrection beside the heroes of the faith, with one voice, a thousand generations. right now in this moment as we enter in with worship that is taking place all over this earth all creation worshiping you God we enter in to recognize you as our holy Savior Father thank you for your mercy thank you for your love we sing holy is the Lord Almighty God let us confidence be in you through every season, no matter what changes here on earth no matter the things that we experience day to day God your love your mercy remains the same no matter how much changes we can rest assured that you are our confidence God if anything let us have that confidence in you day to day Father we thank you for these times of worship speak to the hearts in this moment Father and as your church we unite to lift up the name of Jesus in this place Church in this moment united as one can we pray the way that the Lord taught us to pray? Here in this moment we we'll sing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom of and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, well, welcome to MRCC this morning. Hey, would you look around, find somebody you don't know, and would you say good morning to them today? Hey.
1: Good morning, friends. Welcome. Worship. Worship is a supernatural thing, amen? And it is when we give ourselves to worship that we experience the supernatural. I often say to Weston during the week, I say, hey, my brother, remember that what you lead us in on Sunday, it's not the setup, it's not the preamble, (laughs) it's the main event. The preaching is just added on after the worship, when we discover that in our hearts, then our experience of God will multiply. Yeah. Amen. Well welcome. It is picnic Sunday. That is a serious shirt you're wearing down there. That's a picnic shirt. God. I'm not gonna be able to unsee that all day. That's glorious. It's glorious. Um You know, there's a whole bunch of folks getting ready right now. About 65 people working all morning to make the picnic uh, a welcoming place for you. I hope you'll come back and join us. It's going to be a perfect day. Uh, Bring your lawn chair. We got lunch. It's going to be just a terrific time. Bring your kids, grandkids, neighbors' kids, random kids you pick up in parking lots. Bring them all, and it'll be good today. We're going to have fun. Um, Hey, a couple of quick uh, announcements before we open God's Word uh, together. And one of them is I just want to thank us again as a church. I I do this often. But uh, for our giving this week, we were able to step in and and prevent a family with four children from being evicted. And we were able to bridge them into a stable situation where they're going to be able to stay in the home that they're in. And that's good stuff. We get to do stuff like that all the time. But I just think we should celebrate that. I mean, so many people are just right on the edge of homelessness. Uh, It's easy to forget that when you're not. Uh, but every week uh, Pastor Dave and the Benevolence team are involved with situations and that one just stood out this week it was wonderful to be able to, to to help those folks out so thank you for allowing us to do that also an amazing week at camp, Pastor Josh was sharing with me a little bit yesterday about what God did at middle school camp now tomorrow morning the high schoolers are heading out to high school camp and there were two kids camps this week, there's another one taking on tomorrow so beautiful stuff really great stuff, thank you for helping us send kids uh, to camp uh, and being a part of camp. And then uh, the last thing is um, many of us, many of you uh, know the Rogel family and uh, their son Caleb will be in third service today. We're praying over him as he heads off to the military. He leaves tomorrow to join uh, the military to serve our country. So we're going to ask God's blessing on him in third service. If you see him, be sure and, and appreciate him and give him that encouragement. So big step, big step for him. Uh, this morning, we're going to finish our series in the Minor Prophets, and so I want to invite you to grab your Bible and open it to the prophet Zechariah, and we've spent these last seven weeks in a series called The Magnificent Seven, in which we've been meeting some characters in God's Word, some people through whom God brought His message that many of us maybe have never met before because they're they're buried deep in the Old Testament and we kind of have a, a fear relationship with the Old Testament we're afraid that if we go in there we'll hear something different than the new. And one of the things that happens when you venture in there is you discover that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, His gospel is the same, Old Testament or new. We've been experiencing that. We're we're in Zechariah. That's where we're going to finish this morning. Uh, So as you turn there, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you have ever wrestled with discouragement. I mean, everybody's wrestled with discouragement, right? It comes, it goes. It happens to all of us. The word means literally to lose your courage or to lose your hope or optimism. And if you've felt discouragement, you you know what that's like. There's a kind of hopelessness that goes with it. If you're a Cougars fan, you understand discouragement, right? You know how that works. If you're a Husky basketball fan, you know about discouragement, right? There's some discouragement going on there. If you're waiting for somebody to invent diet donuts, then you're going to be discouraged for most of your life. That's not going to happen. If you're hoping to see your cat in heaven, you'll be discouraged. There's <laughs> lots, lots of things that can bring about discouragement. But, but this morning, I want to remind you, God wants to remind you about a time when you were immune to discouragement, a time when it was impossible to discourage you. That time existed in your life. It was when you were small. It was when you were very small. It was when you were learning how to talk. Now, you don't remember much about those days, but everybody around you does. <laughs> they remember all the things you said that made no sense to anybody, but you kept saying them <laughs> because you were learning how to talk. And because you had no ego, you never became discouraged. You just kept trying. You had this sense that someday, one way or another, sooner or later, you were going to be a talker like everybody around you. Sometimes parents live to regret that moment in our house. Uh, Isaiah was a little late to talk, and I remember at one point Rhonda walked into the kitchen on a Saturday morning, and she had a concerned look on her face. She'd been reading stuff on the internet, always a dangerous thing. And she said, "Uh, honey, I'm afraid he hasn't started talking yet. (laughs) And I looked up and I said, oh, are you going to regret that? (laughs) And it became profoundly true. Uh, Once he started talking, our son Isaiah, he never stopped. But you were immune to discouragement. You knew that you were going to learn how to talk. And so you just kept trying. A couple of years ago, there was a viral video that came out about a little boy learning to talk, him and his dad sitting on the couch. It's about a minute long. Uh, let me invite you to remember it. Turn your attention to the screen.
0: <laughs> Did you understand it, though? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> huh? Oh, no. Not, not this one. This is the, this is the grand finale of this. Okay, Yeah, that's the last one. That's what I was wondering. I don't know what they're going to do next season because they did some stuff this time.
1: Exactly what I was thinking. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. Don't bring that in. You know what I'm saying? Don't do the same stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, go somewhere else with that, but don't break here. You know what I'm
1: saying? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so cute. He's learning how to talk. And there's a part of him that knows he's going to learn. Let me say it again. There's a part of him that knows he's going to learn. And here's why I bring that up this morning, friends, as we finish our series. You see perhaps nothing produces more real, serious discouragement in our lives than our own individual struggles with sin. And we all have them. We all have them. Whether it's our temper or our tongue, whether it's our lust or our anger, whether it's our greed or our fear, Uh, or any of a long list of other things, we struggle against sin. And that struggle can become incredibly discouraging, especially as we grow older and find that the things we thought we would overcome by the time we were 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever, that we still struggle with, that we still wrestle with. But our struggle against sin becomes a very different thing When we understand our father's attitude about it, and I choose my words very carefully there, when we discover God's attitude about it, about your struggle, when he's your father and Jesus is your savior, then your struggle with sin is not the struggle of someone trying to measure up, but the struggle of someone who is growing up, who is learning, just like that little boy who was learning to talk. And it's a message about that reality that the prophet Zechariah brings to us in chapter 3 of the book of Zechariah. There's a huge difference between a struggle to measure up and the struggle of growing up. And just like your attitude towards your children's struggle is different than your employer's attitude or their employer's attitude towards their struggles, God's attitude towards your struggle flows from his grace. Like I said this morning, we're finishing our series in the Minor Prophets by meeting Zechariah. And I hope you are learning that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New, that there's no difference, that in fact everything Jesus said comes from the Old Testament, much of it from the prophets. This morning, let's hear that from the prophet Zechariah. So Zechariah chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of context for Zechariah's time and place. The book of Zechariah is a series of visions and messages given during roughly the same period of time as Haggai, who we heard from last week. That is, Israel has come back from their time of exile in Babylon. They have been returned to their land, a miracle in itself, because they thought the nation was gone and lost forever. They are rebuilding, they're going through the process of rebuilding the temple, of rebuilding the the city of Jerusalem, their capital, the walls, and their own homes. And in that season, they're facing opposition and some difficulties, and they're they're wrestling with weariness and discouragement. And it's into that struggle that Zechariah speaks. And in chapter 3, the vision that he gives there, we don't have time to go through all of them, but the vision that he gives in chapter 3 is aimed exactly at our tendency to be discouraged. Zechariah 3, beginning with verse 1, let's listen to the prophet. Bible says, then he showed me, he, meaning the angel of the Lord, showed me, Zechariah, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Catch this. We're going to come back to it. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Vivid word picture. We're going to unpack it in a moment. Now Joshua, the scripture says, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. But the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua... See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Now, let's pause for a moment and understand a little more of the context here. When Zechariah sees Joshua standing in his capacity as high priest, we are meant to feel several things. First of all, we're meant to identify with Joshua. Because his primary role as high priest was to go before the Lord once a year and on on what many of us know today as the Day of Atonement, he was to go before the Lord once per year and make a very special offering, the sin offering for all of the people. And in that capacity, you read about this in Leviticus 16 and following, in that capacity, Joshua stood as a representative of everyone much as Jesus stands as our representative when he goes to the cross. Joshua fulfilled in his capacity as high priest that same role. And it's that moment that is being pictured here. Now, a little more background. When this moment occurred every year in the life of Israel, again, Leviticus 16 and following, Joshua had to be dressed and prepared in a very specific way. He had to be wearing the breastplate. He had to be wearing the right headdress. He had to be wearing the right robes. He had to have the Urim and the Thummim and stuff we don't have time to get into this morning. But he had to be carefully prepared for that moment. And if he wasn't, then the penalty was death. The picture is of a righteous man being the only one who can intercede for us to the Lord. But in this moment, Joshua is failing that very basic requirement. He's dressed in filthy clothes. And so he's not prepared for the moment. He's not able to make atonement because he's not prepared for the moment. He has no righteousness of his own, we would say, in the New Testament. And as a result of that, in the vision, Satan is pictured standing at Joshua's right side and accusing him. Now, we don't have to imagine what he's accusing him of. The vision makes it clear. He's not righteous. He's not prepared. He's not ready to go before the Lord. He hasn't done what is right. That is the preparation for this moment. And so Satan's accusation against Joshua and by extension against all the people in this moment is an accurate one. It's not made up. It's not false. It's not a lie. It is an accurate accusation. It's actually from this passage that, that the devil earned the title the accuser of the brethren because he's standing here making accusation against Joshua. And the accusation, as we've seen, is correct. You know, to put it another way, Joshua has been caught red-handed unprepared for the moment. You ever been caught red-handed before? I remember when I was in middle school, somewhere I heard that it was a fun thing to throw eggs at cars on Halloween night. You know, where do these ideas come from? So me and a couple of my buddies got together and we we collected some eggs and we decided we were going to go egg throwing because that's what you're supposed to do, we thought, as teenagers on Halloween night. So we went out and we started chucking eggs at cars when they go by. About the third car we threw an egg at hit right across the windshield and the car screeched to a stop and four college-age guys jumped out of the car. And they saw us in the bushes and they came after us. And there's a moment that will live in my memory until I'm dead of the three of us running across those school grounds like we had never run in our lives before. I, I'm pretty sure my feet weren't touching the ground. I was going so fast because I was running for my life. We had been caught red Somehow we outran those guys. I don't know how, to this day how that happened. But I remember the feeling in that moment. Joshua is feeling like that in this moment. He's caught red-handed. And you know, on a serious note, if you've ever been there, if you've ever been in a moment when you were caught red-handed doing what was wrong, failing to do what was right, then you know what Joshua is feeling in this moment. The Bible says, friends, that all of us are caught red-handed before God. Romans tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that phrase falling short of the glory of God means that we've not lived up to the way we're made we've not done what's right we've not done what could reasonably expect be expected of us as good people instead we have often done what we shouldn't have done or refused to do what we should James talks about sins of omission and commission both are real And the consequences of sin are serious. The Bible goes on to tell us in chapter 6, verse 23 of Romans that the wages of sin is death. The consequence is death. It's a serious thing. It's not just a thing to be tossed out the window because after all, everybody's a sinner, so we shouldn't care. No, the idea is that everybody's a sinner and it's serious business. You know, this week when I was preparing this message on Tuesday, my window looks out on the parking lot and I was working through god 's word and preparing for this morning, and I looked up and all of a sudden, five big police heavy duty trucks pulled into our parking lot. Guys were in tactical gear carrying automatic weapons. I thought, what did Pastor Dave do now you know i, mean? I no, 'm I'm kidding i 'm kidding. I can say that because he 's not here he 's on vacation this morning, but I looked up, and I, oh, my goodness, you know, and several of us went to the windows, and when I went out in the parking I'm like, what's going on, you know, is something happening here, and and these guys were getting out of their trucks right out here in our parking lot, and they were obviously loaded for bear, I thought, oh, my goodness, so I started walking towards them, and hey, you know, what's up, you know, and uh, one of the guys stepped out of the truck, and he waved, he said, hey, we're just staging here, we're headed somewhere else, it's like, okay, hey, we'll pray for you, you know. (laughs) because obviously you're headed into some serious business. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, they all left out of here in a convoy. And I'm still waiting to read in the news whatever happened as a result of that. But the overwhelming impression was that it was serious business that they were headed to. And, and God says that the sin in my life and in yours and in everybody's is serious business. Then the scripture goes on to tell us in the second half of that same verse, Romans 6, 23, that the gift of God is eternal life. The gift, circle that word. The freely given gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is, when we receive him as our Savior, we are given a grace we don't deserve. In the same way, the vision that God gives Zechariah shows Joshua guilty, but being given grace. And there's a key word picture here that you don't want to miss. It's in verse 2. Is not this man, and by extension, you and me. He stands as a representative of all of us. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now, Next Sunday afternoon after church, our family's going to head out and we're going to go camping. We're headed over to Lolo Pass in northern Idaho and we're going to be gone for about five days on a camping trip. We're looking forward to it. Looking forward to the campfires in the evening when we'll be sitting there next to the river and just enjoying each other. And, and there's a reality that everybody who's sat around a campfire has experienced. And that is that, you know, when the fire's burning and you take a stick out of the fire, something becomes inevitable what becomes inevitable is that that branch is going to stop burning it might take a little while but once it's pulled from the fire it becomes inevitable that that fire will slowly go out on the branch and it's that reality that Zechariah is seeing that God is proclaiming in this vision. Joshua is unrighteous. He's dressed in filthy clothes. He's not ready for the moment. But he has been removed from the fire. So it's only a matter of time before the fire goes out in him. That's what God is saying to us through this vision. It's a picture of God's grace offered to discourage people. They're still burning. They're still burning sticks. They still struggle. But we have been snatched from the fire in Christ. And God was saying to Israel, I know that you fall far short of what you know should be your reality. But guess what? I have snatched you from the fire and now your destiny is set. Although you haven't realized it yet, it is coming. It is going to happen. Now, friends, Don't misunderstand. This isn't a vision of God winking at sin as if it doesn't matter. In the Levitical law, the penalty for the high priest in Joshua's condition in this moment was death. So God isn't saying sin doesn't matter. What he's saying is, I'm going to deal with it for you. It's a serious business, but I'm going to deal with it. For you. The idea isn't that God just chooses to ignore sin. He can't. He won't. Not yours, not mine, not anybody's. But it means that his love for us is so great that he pays the price himself. At the end of the vision, verses 8 to 10 of Zechariah chapter 3, here's what God says as he wraps up what he's revealed. He says, listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. I am going to bring my servant the branch. That's one of the many messianic names for Jesus. I am going to bring my son, and through him, I am going to remove the sin of this land in a single day. Friends, that's a reference to Jesus going to the cross. It was because of many prophetic passages like this that the Lord said again and again and again to his disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem, I have to die on the cross. That's part of the plan. That's the only way you can be redeemed. It was because of passages like this that Jesus in his humanity understood his destiny. And here's what's so crucial and important for us to grasp this morning. God is diminished in our hearts when we think of him just overlooking our sin. As if somehow because he's the boss, he can just wave it away. That's not the gospel story. Instead, he pays the price for our sins because he loves us. He goes to the cross for sins. He accepts the punishment of death because he loves us. God is glorified when we grasp this. Paul, in that discussion we just referenced in Romans chapter 3, goes on to say that God sought to be both just and the one who justifies, Romans chapter 3. In other words, he wanted to be able to say, right is right and wrong is wrong and I insist on it. And at the same time, be the one who loves us and rescues us. Richard Newhouse wrote memorably, we, the truth is we could not bear to live in a world where wrong is taken lightly and where right and wrong make no difference. Spare me a gospel of easy love. Atonement is not some accountant's trick or kindly benevolent overlooking of wrong. It is a serious bloody cross where a man gives his life for us. And God is glorified when we grasp that and diminished when we resist that. Here's what God wants you and I to grasp this morning. Here's what God wanted Israel to grasp through Zechariah's message and us this morning. If Jesus is your Savior, then you are a burning stick snatched from the fire. You've been snatched out. Yes, you struggle, but that struggle is destined to come to a victorious end because of what Jesus has done for us and in us, because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Over in Romans chapter 7, the apostle explains this in some detail. He says, Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I do. Do you ever feel like that? Everybody feels like that. And and maybe those who choose to follow Christ feel it more than most, because when he becomes our savior, our Our standards get much higher and much more real. We have been born again. And as a result of that, become aware of our sinfulness. Before I was a a follower of Jesus, I never gave two thoughts to my sins. They didn't matter to me. I was just about myself. It was only when I became a believer that I began to care about my sins. Before that, I followed my appetites like a dog or any other animal. C.S. Lewis said famously, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried really hard to be good. It's only then that we really begin to discern the struggles that are happening inside of us. But those struggles, church, understand this. Your struggle is because you're a Christian. It's not keeping you from being one. It's because you are. That's why we struggle. And the message of Zechariah is God says, Hey, I know what that feels like. I know you look in the mirror and you see filthy clothes and you see somebody who doesn't measure up and you see a burning stick. But know this, you've been snatched from the fire. And what that means is that your struggle is destined to end in victory. Paul goes on, Romans 7, he says, verse 16, If I do what I do not want to do, then obviously I agree that the law is good. In other words, God's definition of right and wrong is a good one. This conflict inside me, Paul says, reveals that there is a new me, one that agrees with God about right and wrong. And so he goes on, verses 17 and following, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me. Or as Zechariah would say, it is a stick still burning, even though it's been snatched from the fire. It is no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me. In other words, there's a new me and there's an old me. There used to be, but there is now. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is isn't my sinful nature, the old me. For I have the desire to do what is good. That's the new me. But I can't carry it out. For what I do is not always the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. In other words, Paul says there's two conflicting desires in me. And every serious Christian feels that. And if you feel that, rejoice. It means there's a new you, born again, as alive as the old you, and wrestling with the old you. And here's the whole point. Paul says, verse 20, Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. In other words, there's a part of me that wants what is right. Now I have to learn to listen to that part of me Learn how to restrain the other part of me. Not in order to create the new part of me, but because it's there. Let me say that again. Not in order to create the new part of me, but because it's there. There's a part of us that says, wow, we're having this big long conversation about sin, but really that's not reality. What's reality is what's going on in the news or what's going on in society or culture or school or work. No, it's not. All those things Will pass from your life and mine in a nanosecond. They'll all be over and none of them will matter. All that will matter eternally is your sin and God's grace. All that will matter eternally is that. That's the gospel, that's reality. And so the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. We are burning sticks snatched from the fire. Only let us live up to that reality. Own it. Walk in it. Paul finishes his whole thought in Romans 7 by saying, What a wretched man I am. Sometimes we feel like that. That's where the discouragement comes from. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death, from this struggle? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He rescues us. He rescues you. He rescues me. And it's when we own that reality... That God is glorified in our hearts. Do you know why some people struggle with their passion for God? It's because they've never grasped how utterly he saves us in Christ. Imagine if you were the target of all those police that came into our parking lot this week, and they showed up at your house, and they surrounded it, and you were headed for a bad end. And then suddenly, the floor of your house popped open, and some guy said, Hey, jump in here. Let's go. Let's get out of here you would feel an incredible sense of thanksgiving. And it is that sense of thanksgiving that powers the Christian life. It's that sense of thanksgiving that makes us immune to discouragement. Some people get discouraged because they assume their struggle means that something is wrong with them. In fact, it means something's right with you. If you weren't born again, you wouldn't struggle. But the fact that you are demonstrates you. There's a beautiful moment in Genesis chapter 32 when when Jacob, who has spent a lifetime uh, doing wrong, finally is caught red-handed and is facing the consequences of a lifetime of doing wrong. And the scripture says that in that moment, he finally, finally turned to God and he wrestled with him all night long. And in the morning, God said, okay, we've wrestled, now let go of me. And Jacob said, I won't, I won't let go of you. The scripture says that the angel of the Lord in that moment kind of pried him off. And then he said, I'm giving you a new name today. You shall no longer be known by the name you were known. You will no longer be known as Jacob the deceiver. Now I name you Israel, my beloved. Why? Because you struggle. Church, we're almost done this morning. Let me just say clearly to you, if you're struggling with your sin, hallelujah. If you're battling your tongue, your temper, your greed, your pride, your anger, your lust, if you are wrestling with it, hallelujah, that means you're alive. That means God's spirit is in you. That means there's a new you as well as an old you. It is the very evidence of being born again, and it is what makes you your father's son, your father's daughter. When we know this, when we understand the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we will never get discouraged by our struggle with sin. Instead, we will throw ourselves into it. By the spirit, we will keep trying and learning until inevitably the moment comes when we leave it behind. That's our birthright. That's our heritage. I remember early on when I first started playing basketball and didn't know how to use my left hand. And uh, I realized very quickly that other people could figure that out and pretty soon they could just completely shut me down because they knew I could only use my right hand. And I thought to myself, I've got to learn how to use my left hand. But that is the most awkward thing in the world. My wife is ambidextrous. I hate her for it. Okay? <laughs> you know, she, she can do the same with both hands. I've never been that way. I had to learn to use my left. And there was a part of me that said, I'm never going to learn this. It's too hard. It's too weird. I can't do it. But then I would look around and go, you know what? All these other guys did. All these other guys somehow figured it out. If I just stay with it, I'm going to pretty soon, after, I don't know, a year or something, pretty soon I started using my left hand more than my right hand. And I remember thinking, this is cool. Wow, look what I can learn. God wants you to have the same moment. Wow, look what I can learn. That's why Philippians tells us in chapter 3, verse 13 and following, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. It's human nature to want to quit when we fail. We've all felt it and a kind of self-pity comes over us when we aim high and fall short. And the worst part of it is we want to run from those moments. But God wants us to understand that He is Father to us in these moments. He won't back down from His ambition for us and He knows that our growing up is only a matter of time. Just like this little guy's talking is only a matter of time. It's going to come. It's going to come. The Bible says, though a righteous man falls down seven times. God arranged it. It's a sermon illustration. (laughs) Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. In other words, the righteous man knows God's father heart and he never gets discouraged he falls down the third time the fourth time the fifth time and he gets up she gets up why because of God's father heart we are motivated to do this by our understanding of God's grace to us that's the point of zechariah's vision this is why the bible describes grace as a powerful thing not a static thing peter tells us or titus uh, paul tells titus in titus chapter 2 this listen carefully for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It teaches us. When you know God's attitude towards your struggle with sin, that's the first step to winning it. Let me say that again. When you know God's attitude about your struggle, with your tongue, with your temper, with your lust, with your greed, with your anger, whatever it is, when you know God's attitude about your struggle, that's the first step to overcoming it. His grace is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. Let me, let me tell you a story. We're almost done this morning. Alcides Moreno... Is a man who knows all about grace. He washes skyscraper windows in Manhattan. Him and his brother had a business in which they did that. On December seventh, two 2007, he and his brother were doing just that on the 47th floor of a skyscraper in downtown Manhattan. But that afternoon, the platform they were standing on, and we 've all seen people do doing this window washing, the platform that they were standing on broke, and Alcides and his brother Edgar were pitched off of it into midair forty seven stories up now that 's a long fall, long enough that Alcides had time to realize what was happening, time to think about the consequences and time. To feel hopeless as he fell. But somehow, miraculously, he survived. His brother died. His brother struck the ground and lost his life. Alcides struck the ground, and somehow, it's a miracle, after falling 47 floors, he didn't die. He spent the next two weeks in a coma. He spent months after that in physical therapy and recovery. But somehow, he didn't die. And there's no explanation for that apart from the miraculous grace of God. Now, here's why I tell you that story. Today, nobody is more serious about safety on a scaffold than (laughs) Alcides. Nobody. You see, God's grace didn't teach him to be indifferent. It taught him to be more devoted, dedicated, and focused than ever before. That's what grace does. It doesn't make sin less of a thing to be hated, fought, and struggled against. It makes it more so because now we understand what it is, what it means, and now we understand a Father God's attitude about it. Zechariah's vision finishes with a call To the pursuit of holiness. The angel of the Lord gives this charge to Joshua, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says, if you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, you will govern my house, have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. In other words, God will reward the pursuit of holiness in your life here and now. He will reward it. You are ultimately saved by grace but he will reward your pursuit of holiness in life here now. He wants the best for you now as well as forever, and it flows from your grateful thanksgiving, which becomes a willingness to submit, to learn, and to do things God's way. Nothing less, in fact, than thanksgiving for grace can keep you from being discouraged on the way. You are a burning stick snatched from the fire. That's what you and me are meant to understand. So can I invite you to bow your heads with me Close your eyes for a moment, my friends, this morning. And let me ask you to admit to yourself in this moment, what is your struggle? Is it anger? Is it tongue? Is it fear? Is it lust? What is your struggle? And in this moment, God wants you to understand His attitude about your struggle. When the devil comes to accuse you, God says, this man, this woman, is a burning stick snatched from the fire. He says, the Lord rebuke you. This man is a burning stick snatched from the fire. That's you. The reason you struggle is precisely because there's a new you. And it's because of your struggle that God gives you a new name. You are his now because of your struggle." He wants you and I to understand that and to feel that. The Bible says only let us live up to what we have already attained. We've been snatched from the fire in Christ. Now God calls us to let grace teach us to say no to ungodliness. Maybe this morning you need to grab hold of your struggle in a new way. Maybe you've just kind of let it go. You've become discouraged. You began to give up. You've begun to say to yourself, no, this is just how I am. This is how I'm always going to be. I can't overcome this. I can't grow beyond it. God says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because of my grace, you can. I have snatched you from the fire. I am at work in you today and every day of your life. And he's inviting you in this moment to grab hold of that struggle again. To say, This is what makes me my father's daughter, my father's son. This is why he gives me a new name. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for that beautiful vision that you gave Zechariah, not just for the people of Israel in that moment, but for us, for us here today. We thank you for that vision. God, write it on our hearts that we might go from here confident that we will overcome because your grace teaches us. We pray for that. We ask that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Lots of folks preparing all morning for the picnic this afternoon. Hope that you will come and join us. And can I ask you a personal favor just before we close? When you come to the picnic this afternoon, say to yourself this, I'm not coming for what I can get from it I'm coming because somebody else might need a friend I'm coming because somebody else might need a friend you know we're coming out of this pandemic we're getting to know each other again we're looking around we're seeing new faces fellowship is God's heart for us and it builds us so can I challenge you this afternoon meet somebody you don't know meet somebody you've never met before and if you're bringing the kids There's a special guest you're going to see this afternoon, and they're really going to want to see him. So um, there you go. There's a teaser. Now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with us throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Hope to see you for the picnic this afternoon.